We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. It's Christmas in America, 2022, and our country now seems to be more interested in taking our children to drag queen story hours than reading to them the story of the little drummer boy. So here's the question. What is the responsibility of good and decent people in a culture such as this? What's the loving thing to do and Will God withhold his judgment if we don't do it? I'm Dr. Edward Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning, and welcome to The Rebellion. Thanks for listening into the show. Today, I want to talk about a child's innocence, and I want to talk about the responsibility that parents have in protecting that child's soul, his conscience, developing it, crafting it, molding it by reading good books rather than bad, by reading good stories rather than stories that degrade. I want to talk about parental responsibility as well as the responsibility of everybody else in the culture, people that still have a soul, people that still have a conscience, people that still recognize that a child is a child, not an adult, and that it's our responsibility to guard that child's body, mind, and soul. That's what education is supposed to be about, first and foremost, especially at the youngest ages, right? But today we have a culture where we have parents in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, as well as other heartland communities across the nation, not San Francisco, but Oklahoma, not Tulsa, but Bartlesville. We have places across the country, Bartlesville is just the example because I live nearby there, where drag queen story hours and drag queen parties in the park are now all the rage. And parents are taking their kids to these performances and to these story hours, whether it be the local public park or the local public library. And in some places, they're taking in taking these kids into private parties. There's a restaurant in Bartlesville called Second Crossings or Crossing Second. I can't remember which way it is, but this restaurant has hosted three, at least three drag queen performances so far. They're debauched. Friends of mine have gone in and they've testified as to what they've seen. This is grooming, pure and simple. It's child abuse. It's child endangerment. These people should be sued. Anybody that hosts the party should be sued and anybody conducting it should be sued. And if the city officials won't stop the performances, at least in the public spaces, they should be sued, in my view. I'm going to talk about that more on today's show. But I want, I want to talk about it within the context of this being Christmas week. Why in the world are we talking about this type of stuff during Christmas? Christmas for children is a time of innocence, a time of dreaming, a time of mystery, a time of teaching them how to give and not just want to get. It's a time of watching innocent programs such as Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, or, or the story of Kris Kringle. You know, some of these stories that you were taught while you were growing up. And if you're listening to me right now and you're younger, 
than I am, if you're of a different generation and you're rolling your eyes because you think that these particular stories are somewhat old-fashioned. The story of a Charlie Brown's Christmas, where Linus recites the biblical story of the birth of Christ. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And you shall call his name Emmanuel, for God is with us. Did you know that when George Schultz, the the creator of the Peanuts cartoon series, Charlie Brown, did you know that when he was asked by the major networks to produce that show, that Charlie Brown's Christmas, that he demanded that the story of the birth of Christ be included therein, and he wasn't going to do it unless he was permitted to do so. He wouldn't back down. And thus, many of us were raised with that being our story hour rather than drag queens and rainbow flags and all else therein. Did you, did you know that the colors that we use to celebrate Christmas were green and red, red for the blood of Christ and green for eternal life? Did you know that's what those colors repre- represent? As opposed to the rainbow colors of sexual license and division, segregation, and sin. So today's show, I want to talk about the drag queen story hours within the context of a child's innocence, child endangerment, whether or not we should be suing these people, could we win if we did, and what's the loving thing to do? Is it loving to sit back and have a conversation with these people about what they're doing to our kids, or is there something even more loving than that? Are we called to something higher? a better standard than just a conversation. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2344 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, The Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group, proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. So on last week's uh, program, on the show last week, I I got into this particular story a little bit, but I want to dig deeper into it today and do a better job of tying a bow around this argument. I told you last week that I had met with a group of local Christians, uh, younger people, and I was challenging them privately in a private meeting to not back down from the fight against this this family-friendly, quote-unquote, drag queen movement that's sweeping our nation. 
you know, drag queen story hours in a public library and drag queen parties in a public park, as well as these private performances where people are taking young children into them. What I was trying to do when I met with these young Christian leaders was, was really pretty simple. I wanted to let them know that this war is real, number one. You're not overblowing it. You're not exaggerating it. This is a real war. It's reached into America's heartland. It's not just San Francisco or New York City, Washington, D.C., or places like that. This is in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. It's in small towns in Ohio, Kansas, Nebraska, Texas, across the nation. This is pervasive. It's everywhere. And I also wanted to make this point clear to these local leaders. At its most basic level, this is a battle for our children's hearts, minds, and souls. That's what this is about. Bottom line, men who get their kicks out of dressing up like women and mimicking a cabaret striptease. Now, there's etymology in that word, as there is in all words, striptease. What's the point? You're teasing the audience. And when you've got a guy that's dressing up like a woman, mimicking a cabaret striptease, he's teasing the audience. He's teasing children. And by definition, this is a groomer. You get my point here? This is grooming. That's the point of the performance, to tease, to groom the audience, to pay attention, to be very interested in what's going on. Okay, that's what a strip tease is all about, to want more. And any local business or church or chamber of commerce or government agency supporting this nonsense this is my argument, is guilty of child endangerment. And these Chamber of Commerces, the local civil agencies, the mayor, the city council, elected officials, anybody, local businesses, churches, I would argue should be, should be sued. I'll say that again. They should be sued for child endangerment. It's time to take off the gloves. It's time to go on the offensive. It's time for litigation. That's my point. That's what I was saying to these people in this meeting. Now, I went further. And I said this. I said that parents who care about their kids need to run toward the storm. This is a principle of leadership. Piper's principles for leadership, if you will. I've talked about it in my book, Grow Up and Out of Daycare. I've talked about it on this show. What are the lessons of leadership I've learned as, being, as the result of being a college president? And other, and other things throughout the course of my career. One of the principles is run toward the storm. Don't run away from it. You lead with your right. You don't retreat. Soldiers don't flee. They fight. They use their opponent's energy and aggression to their advantage. So this is an opportunity. The fight, the storm, the battle is an opportunity. And now is not the time to find a middle way. It's time to take on the battle. Welcome it. Welcome the crisis. Never let a crisis go to waste. Now, while we may or may not win in a court of law, and that's debatable, many of you who have a legal background are saying this is crazy. You can't win in a court of law. Who cares? There's still, there are still enough sane people, at least I hope there are, left in our country for us to win in a court of public opinion. I said last week, I, I despise Gloria Allred, but she's got a very shrewd and effective strategy. She runs after every Me Too claim 
that's out there. She doesn't care whether there's proof or not. She doesn't care whether she's going to win in a court of law. She knows she can win in the court of public opinion, and she takes it on. And she moves the ball down the field. One yard, two yards, ten yards as the result of doing this. We need to do the same. For example, court of public opinion, what small town mayor wants to be known as a groomer? What small town mayor wants to go viral as a groomer, supporting grooming? Very few. What major company like Phillips 66, ConocoPhillips, Trudy Credit Union, here in Bartlesville, Chevron, what, what major company, you, you fill in the blank, wants to be branded as a purveyor of child exploitation? L- local leaders don't want that kind of press. You're not going to get more business. You're going to get less if that's what you're known for. Good people aren't going to move into your community if, you're, if your identity is zeroed in and focused upon drag queens rainbow stuff. Not in America. Still, I would argue, not in heartland America. Now, we may lose that ground if we don't fight. I may be proven wrong tomorrow, but today I still believe there are enough sane people left in our country that'll stand up and say, no, don't do this to our kids. Not in public spaces. We need to paint our opponents. Paint these people as proponents of child grooming, because that's what they are. And when we do, I believe the local mayor, city council, and even some of these corporations that are all woke and self-righteous, I believe they'll back down because it's bad press. Now, some people that I met with may agree. Others don't. Others are more cautious. And not for nefarious reasons, I just think for misguided reasons. For example... I've heard um, we're not convinced that bringing this to the court of public opinion is a good idea. That's one comment. Why? Well, we need to have a conversation with these folks. We don't know their motives. We're obligated to love them. And painting them all as child groomers, the local mayor, the city council, etc., is not loving them. And even some of the proponents, some of the guys, men and women, dads and moms, local dentists and insurance agents and others, that think these drag queen things are all good, it's not loving to sue them and to call them groomers. Well, you know that I talked about this last week. Is that true? Biblically, is that true? Love. Is it unloving to call them groomers, to challenge them and say this is sexual uh, misconduct in front of children? This is child endangerment. You should be held accountable if you do this in front of children in our community. We're going to sue you if you don't stop. Is the church obligated to have an ongoing conversation rather than to confront people that way? Do we have to have dialogue, again, conversation with those that are waving their rainbow flags over our kids? And is it unloving to say that we're not interested in more dialogue? No, we're not going to talk about it anymore time for talk is over. Is that unloving to say that? Well, my point is this. Considering the fact that I was talking to a group of Christians when we had this meeting last week, 
And seeing that the Bible is the book that defines Christianity, let's go back to the Bible and get some answers as to whether or not it's loving or unloving to go down the path that I'm suggesting. So if you start with the Old Testament, it doesn't take long for you to see that the call for an ongoing conversation with our culture about its sin is not the modus operandi. That's not the way the prophets or the patriarchs communicated or behaved. That's not the story of the Old Testament. Moses didn't have a conversation with the Israelites when they melted their, their jewelry into a golden calf. And a lot of people died because of Moses' confrontation rather than conversation with the Israelites when they did that. Elijah didn't engage in a conversation with the priests of Baal. Jeremiah didn't have a conversation with Manasseh and Ammon about their idol worship and cultic practices. Jonah didn't have a conversation with Nineveh, and Jehovah God himself did not send his messengers to have a conversation with Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you get my point here? Over and over again, the message in the first two-thirds of the Bible, the Old Testament, is pretty clear. God was not and is not interested in a conversation. The time for talk was over. It was time to repent. That's the message of the Old Testament, isn't it? Well, you know, some of you are tempted to say, that's just the harsh Old Testament. We live in a different day, a different time, a new covenant, the New Testament, and it emphasizes a different message of love and grace. Okay, so let's look at that part of the Bible then, the New Testament. Well, I'm going to challenge you here. I think a few short minutes of doing that, and you're going to quickly see that the message doesn't change. Not on that issue. John the Baptist didn't have a conversation with Herod about his adultery. Paul didn't have a conversation with the Romans when he told them that the wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't have a conversation with the money changers in the temple, and he didn't converse with the Pharisees when he called them a brood of vipers and rotting graves full of dead men's bones. Go on and on. Peter didn't have a conversation with the recipients of his epistles, nor did Jude. These are pretty pointed confrontations of the early church. Go read Revelation in the the messages of Jesus Christ himself to the seven churches of Revelation. Ask yourself this, is he having a conversation or is this confrontation? So here's my conclusion. It's inescapable in my view. God's definition of love, Old Testament and New Testament, his definition of love and grace is apparently quite different than yours or mine. The message of the Bible is pretty clear. God is much more interested in our confession and our correction than he is in listening to us prattle on i.e. having a conversation about our corruption. It's precisely because God loves us that he confronts us. The Lord disciplines those he loves. That's the Bible. The Lord disciplines those he loves. Discipline and love are not mutually exclusive. They're two sides of the same coin. The coin of God's grace, the coin, the currency of God's grace, is discipline and love. Love 
cannot take place without discipline. You do not love your children if you sit back and have a conversation with them about sticking their hand in the fire. You tell your little boy or girl, don't do that. Don't do that. It will hurt you. It will damage you. It will burn you. You don't sit back and have a conversation with your five-year-old about walking out in the street. You grab him. You pull him back. You discipline him. Severely. Harshly. Righteously. Because anything but that will result in his death. He'll walk out into the street and get killed. There are boundaries in life. God has established those boundaries precisely because he loves us. And to ignore those boundaries and to intentionally tear them down, to tear down the fences of God's freedom for our children is the antithesis of love. This is not, this is not compassion. A conversation is not compassionate. Aiding and abetting in this corruption of our kids and their conscience and their souls is not love. It's not. Our culture has told us that it is, but our culture has lost its mind. Our culture is the same culture that defines men as women and women as men. Our culture is the same culture that says there are 89 different genders now rather than two. Our culture is the same culture that lies to us about women's rights while they deny that women are real. And that culture is now trying to tell you that it's unloving to confront those that are waving their rainbow flag over your children and that you need to have a conversation with them rather than confront them and tell them to stop. And I'm arguing that both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that the example is much different than our desire to be nice. Being nice and being loving are not synonymous. I'm going to share that story one more time with you about what I said to Bill O'Reilly when he tried to talk to me on his show about the difference between tolerance and love. He suggested that my approach, the approach that I'm recommending to you right now, is not tolerant. Well, it may not be. But Mr. O'Reilly, did you send your wife and I tolerate you card on your anniversary? No, you did not because it would have been an insult. Tolerance is an inferior virtue. Love is a superior virtue. Tolerance says, I don't care. Do what you want. Love says, I care deeply. You need to stop. So if you want to love your neighbor, love your culture, love your community, love your town, love your mayor, your city council, the chamber of commerce, if you want to be loving to the people that you live around, being tolerant of this stuff is the antithesis of biblical, biblical love. You need to confront this for the good of your community and for the good of your kids and everyone else's. It's, be, it's precisely because God loves us that he confronts us and disciplines us and tells us to stop. Stop just talking the talk. We, he didn't want to hear that anymore. He wants us to walk the walk. So I could go on and on here. But I I hope my point has been very clear. The time for conversations is over. Conversations will win no wars. Conversations result only in compromise. 
Nowhere in the Bible, you show me where, nowhere in the Bible are we told to sit around and talk about our sins. Everywhere in the Bible, we are told to confess them. This is what I said to the president of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities when she called for all the Christian college presidents in the nation to have a conversation about what we were going to do on the question of hiring married, monogamous, mutually committed homosexuals and lesbians on our campuses. Because after all, the Obergefell decision now makes homosexual marriage the law of the land. So are we going to hire people that are married under the banner of Obergefell? Shirley Hulkster, the president of the CCCU, wanted to have a conversation about that. This is the same discussion that I had. This is the same confrontation that I delivered to the Wesleyan Church when they wanted to have a conversation with regard to the homosexual community and the, and the rest of us living together under fairness for all. Because, you know, after all, that's the loving thing to do. Let's, let's establish a new system of law. It's fair for all. I said, no. No, this is a broken model. Elijah didn't talk to the prophets of Baal, of Baal about being fair for all. Jonah didn't talk about fairness for all when he confronted the people of Nineveh. God didn't send his messengers to establish a fairness for all standard for Sodom and Gomorrah. No. We need to confront these things for what they are. They're wrong, and they're corrupting our children. Having an ongoing conversation with those who seek to groom our five-year-old sons and daughters sexually is a fool's errand, and that is what they're doing. Don't tell me it's any different. It is a strip tease. They're mimicking motions of a strip tease. They're wearing clothing and discarding components of those clothes as they mimic a strip tease. It's a fool's errand to have a conversation with people who think that that's appropriate for a 5-year-old or a 10-year-old to watch. It's a fool's errand to engage in that conversation. It's time for Christians, and even those of you who may not be Christians, to stand with the likes of Elijah, Jeremiah, John, Jonah, and even Jesus, and tell these people to stop molesting our, our kids. Oh, well, they're not molesting them. Yes, they are. They're molesting their souls. They're molesting the souls of our children. And we need, need to make it clear that we're going to sue them if they don't. But you can't win. The city attorney tells us that you can't win. I don't care. That doesn't matter. And I hope there are some attorneys listening to me right now that'll reach out and say, I'll take this one on. I do think it's a violation of local community standards. You have decency standards on your books. Yes, we do. We do in Bartlesville. There are standards against purency, indecency, immodesty. There are standards on the books. Enforce them. Well, you can't because those standards keep moving. Like our local mayor here in Bartlesville has said, what's one man's weed is another man's flower. What... What a spineless thing to say. Seriously, you're going to let somebody groom your children in public and say, well, what's, what's, 
what's one man's weed? You, you think it's a weed, but they think it's a flower. We don't have clarity. We don't have a clear definition, a legal definition, as to what indecency really is. So we can't enforce this policy. Enforce it anyway. Take them to court. If you lose in the legal system, you're going to win in the court of public opinion. These mayors do not want this to go national. You think they like it? When I write an article in the Washington Times calling them out for their grooming, they don't like it. They don't want to be branded that way. I'm sure they're very angry with me. And that's okay. Because we're drawing attention to the problem. We're waving the banner of truth over this lie. And nobody likes their lies exposed. They don't want to be branded as groomers, as molesters, as predators. They don't want that PR. ConocoPhillips, Phillips 66, Truity Credit Union, State Farm Insurance, they don't want that image. So even if we lose in the court of law, we can win in the court of public opinion if we get some courage and confront this rather than having a conversation about it. I hope some attorneys will step to the forefront and challenge this. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.